Chapter Four of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Four. Neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? Are the societies well attended and interesting? This question Mr. Tresevant asked of his hostess at the dinner table. Yes, she answered, drawing out the monosyllable to unusual length and hesitating much. They are pretty well attended, that is, a good many go, but there are many who do not attend, and I think will not be persuaded to under the present circumstances. And what are present circumstances, if you will enlighten me? Mr. Sayles glanced down at his wife with an amused laugh. You'll mount her on one of her hobbies if you insist upon an answer to that question, he said roguishly. Oh, now, Jerome, is that quite fair? I don't think I make exactly a hobby of it, though I do feel deeply about it. I can state the case very briefly, Mr. Tresevant. We have too much flounce and finery, generally, in our sewing society. The custom prevails of going sufficiently dressed for a fashionable tea-party, and the consequence is that a large number of ladies, whose circumstances will not admit of anything very elaborate, are shut out from attending, or feel that they are. Why, Mrs. Sales, do you have bylaws requiring just so many flounces and ribbons and the like? It was Mrs. Tresevant's innocent, childlike voice that asked this question, a voice in which there was constantly an undertone of not very amiable sarcasm. Mrs. Sales answered her quietly. Not quite that, and yet the persistency which some of our ladies carry out their fancy dress designs might lead one to imagine that there was some penalty involved. Mrs. Tresevant chose to make her next query less sharp. But don't you think it is false pride that keeps people away from places, because they are not able to dress as well as others? Doubtless it is, Mrs. Sales answered meekly. But the trouble is, people will persist in having false pride, and the question that puzzles me is, shall we Christians do our best to foster it, or to give it as little chance for growth as possible? Mrs. Tresevant flounced herself into her room ten minutes afterward, in a very unamiable frame of mind. "'Are you aware, Mr. Tresevant,' she said hotly, "'that the lecture on dress, to which we have had the pleasure of listening, "'was delivered for my special benefit?' "'Nonsense,' answered that gentleman, "'composedly betaking himself to an easy chair and the daily paper. "'It isn't nonsense at all. "'She is perpetually dictating to me what I shall wear and how I shall act.' "'Mr. Tresevant lowered his paper and looked at his wife, the ever-ready flush rising slowly on his cheeks. Dictating to you? Well, not in so many words, perhaps, but continually throwing out hints for me to practice on. Oh, as to that, she has a right to her own opinions, of course. Nobody wishes to hinder her from enjoying them. But the question is, haven't I a right to mine? Certainly you have. Dress exactly as you please, without regard to her or anyone else. Now, be it known that this matter of simplicity in dress was one of Mr. Tresevant's own particular hobbies, and he sometimes wrote it in such a manner as to drive his dress-loving wife to the very verge of distraction. His ideal was white, of course, what gentleman's isn't, and it must be admitted that he showed as little sense in regard to season and occasion as most of them do. Still, his tastes and his ideas of Christian propriety were decidedly in favor of quiet simplicity which thing his small, wise wife thoroughly comprehended, and, comprehending him quite as thoroughly in some other respects, played her game accordingly. 
she knew perfectly well that to give advice himself as to her attire, and to seem to be following the hints of a third person, were, in his estimation, decidedly different matters. Consequently, she made her toilet in peace. Behold her, then, some two hours later, a pattern of simplicity and propriety, arrayed in a fawn-colored silk with an overdress of white muslin, immaculate in whiteness and fluted ruffles, and finished at the throat with puffings of real lace, seated in Mrs. Wilcox's back parlor, the cynosure of all eyes. Meek little Mrs. Sales, in her buff muslin, stood no chance at all beside her pastor's wife. There was a heightened color in that little lady's face. She had, on that particular afternoon, prevailed upon Mrs. John Carter to accompany her to the society. Now Mrs. John Carter's best dress was a very neatly made blue and white cambric, and very neat and pretty she looked. But, seated on the sofa beside Mrs. Tresevant, nearly submerged by that lady's flounces and ruffles, she looked embarrassed and uncomfortable. And Mrs. Sales greatly feared that this would be her last attempt to mingle in the society of the Regent Street Church. There was a group of eager talkers over by the bay window. When Mrs. Sales joined them, late in the afternoon, they greeted her with a chorus of voices. Oh, Mrs. Sales, we have an excellent plan for raising the rest of that money and having a social gathering at the same time. An old folks' supper, a new idea, you see. Did you ever hear of it before? Mrs. Ames says when she was east, they had one in their society, and it was a perfect success. An old folks' supper, repeated Mrs. Sales in perplexity. What does that mean? Do old folks have such very different suppers from young ones? Indeed they do, or did, the old folks about whom we are talking. Tell her about that one in your church, Mrs. Ames. Why, you know, began that lady, prefacing her remarks with the favorite American blunder, you know, and immediately proceeding to explain what she believes her hearer to know nothing about. You know, they have pumpkin pies and Indian puddings, and apple sauce and baked beans, and all those old-fashioned dishes that were so important years ago. Then you have characters dressed to represent the olden time. We had George and Martha Washington, and Lafayette, and oh, quantities of others. They had to sustain their characters, too, not only by their dress, but by their conversation. It was really quite interesting. And you propose to get one up here? Yes, we have it all planned. We can get ready in two or three weeks. The costumes take very little time, so many people have old-fashioned things that belonged to their grandmothers among their treasures. Mrs. Ames says they charged a dollar a couple for supper, and such a supper as we could get up out of the old-fashioned dishes would be worth a dollar just to look at. Mrs. Tyndall says she will help about the costumes, and Mrs. Douglas will select the boys and girls and assign them their parts. Then Mrs. Sullivan proposes that we have some old-fashioned songs, which I think will be an excellent addition. We can get up some splendid singing here. Charlie Wilcox will take that in hand, I know. Now, Mrs. Sales, what do you think of it? You seem to have your arrangements almost perfected, answered Mrs. Sales, if that remark could be called an answer to the question asked. We have, said Mrs. Tyndall. I have even selected the character that I am going to personate. I have always had a passion for distinction, and I am going to be that famous personage, Old Mother Hubbard, who went to the cupboard. Only in this instance I expect you to see to it that the cupboard is not bare. We have been very busy since the idea was suggested to us, explained Mrs. Douglas, and everybody to whom we have spoken seems to like the idea, and be ready to join us very heartily. I think myself, 
perhaps it is as innocent and unobjectionable a way as any of affording our young people amusement. Abby, you haven't told us what you thought of the plan yet. Oh, I like it, at least I think I do. I haven't given it very mature deliberation as yet. But what does Mr. Tresevant say about it? A sudden silence ensued. The ladies looked wonderingly at each other, and at last Mrs. Williams explained, We haven't said anything to him about it. He is here, you know, has been here for an hour. Wouldn't it be well to consult him before anything further is said? Meantime, Mrs. Tresevant falls in with the plan, does she? Mrs. Williams laughed. It hasn't been mentioned to her, either. Why, ejaculated Mrs. Sayles, amazement and disapproval in her voice. It was a strange oversight, Mrs. Williams said, but we were in such a gale talking about it that we never thought of consulting only those who happened this way. Some of you go and talk to Mr. Tresevant right away. Mrs. Tyndall, you will, won't you? What's the use? interrupted Miss Charlotte Wilcox. Mr. Tresevant doesn't have to get up a festival or have anything to do with it, only to have a complimentary ticket sent him and come to grace the occasion. Why should we consult him? Oh, of course we ought, Mrs. Williams said. It is in very bad taste not to have done it before. Miss Wilcox reiterated that she could not see it in that light. Mr. Tresevant had nothing to do with it. Don't you think, questioned Mrs. Sayles gently, that the pastor of a church has to do with everything connected with that church, whatever it may be? But an innocent matter like that, what objection could he possibly have? Probably none, Mrs. Sayles said. More than likely, he would be pleased and enter into it heartily. The question was not of objections, but of common courtesy. Of course, Mrs. Williams said again, we are simply wasting time. We just didn't think of it, and that is all there is about it. Mrs. Tyndall, will you go and talk to him? And Mrs. Tyndall went, but she went too late. Mr. Tresevant had been in the house for an hour, and during that time, turn which way he would, had heard nothing talked about but the old folks' supper. The younger portion of the society were in a state of gleeful excitement over the whole thing, had discussed it as one of the settled questions of the day, had appealed to him right and left as historic authority in the matter of costume or custom, and he, meantime, was nursing himself into a very unpleasant indignation. A church festival planned, arranged, all but executed, and he, the pastor of the church, learning of it by chance from the chatter of a group of girls. We have no special excuse to offer for the ladies of Newton. They had, undoubtedly, been guilty of a breach of common politeness. The difference between their experience and that of many other company of heedless workers is that many a pastor, seeing these things, feeling them keenly, feeling that his position is being injured, that his influence is being undermined by these very trifles, yet for the sake of the cause, meekly endures, entering with smiling face and with heartiness he can assume into the work that has been all but done without so much as a hint as to whether he considers it wise or otherwise. Not such a man was Mr. Tresevant. The church had no business to plan anything pertaining to the prosperity or interest of the church without consulting him, and he knew it. So does many other know it, and yet, it being not absolutely wrong, does what he can do to aid it. Not so did Mr. Tresevant. His brow had been growing darker with every added sentence about the festival. Not that he disapproved of festivals, as many an earnest minister does, who yet endures them with much inward groaning and earnest looking forward to better days, when the money will be given heartily as unto the Lord, 
without the necessity of returning equivalents in the shape of oysters and cakes and endless mats and tidies and ponderous pincushions. Mr. Tresevant had not been called to think seriously on this subject and had no strong convictions to overcome. He had merely his own important self in the way, and he found that a subject sufficiently large to fill his thoughts. Therefore Mrs. Tyndall found him in anything but a genial mood. He had nursed his wrath and his sense of personal insult until he had swelled it to a mountain. In vain she presented the merits of the case, the desire of the young people of the church to have a social gathering of some sort. If, for any reason, he did not approve of this, would he be kind enough to suggest something in its place, or was there anything connected with their present plans that they could leave out and so secure his approval? Frank Hooper would hardly have been recognized in this earnest, courteous, respectful lady. She might as well have talked to the bust of Byron that stood just behind her for all impression that she seemed to make. Mr. Tresevant was utterly unapproachable. He had no objections to offer, no explanation to make, nothing to suggest. He simply did not approve of this thing, and trusted that it would at once be dropped. End of chapter 4 Recording by Tricia G.